All right, Matthew chapter 5. All right, there's no snow out there. I promised today to be done by, by 8 o'clock because of the snow, and there's no snow, so I figured I'd just go till it starts snowing, if that's all right with you. But um, I heard last Wednesday night there was quite a bit of snow as, as you left here, so um, I want you to pray, if you would, please, in your prayer bowls, and if you didn't get one of these, would you, would you make sure you get one on the way out tonight? Every, every person that um, is on this prayer bulletin really would appreciate your prayer. I know the ladies, I think the end of this month as well. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, the ladies, uh, they met once already this month. They're meeting at the end of the month. Um, I don't remember the date, but I know it's in the bulletin there. They're having a devotion on prayer, and then they're just taking some time and praying through the prayer bulletin. And uh, again, a lot of folks on there. I want to make mention of one, if you, if you would notice. Bonnie Cress is right under, under the second one under health needs. And I normally wouldn't share all of these details um, just because I know sometimes people are private. But um, I talked to her husband today, and um, my, my name, his name just slipped my mind, Jim, Jim Cress, and um, came in to see me this morning. Bonnie has been suffering with dementia and Alzheimer's for about six years. She's 65 years old. And so it began when she was about 59. And it came on a couple years even before that um, and caused her to not be able to work and to be home and that sort of thing. And so he's really cared for her over the last um, six years as it's gradually gotten worse. And if you, they're always here. Um, he's working tonight, but they're always here every service. Um, never miss. And um, uh, probably August, September of last year, they, um, she stays home while he works. But then she started getting out of the house and getting, going to the neighbors and just really not knowing, you know, where she was at times. And so just felt like and she couldn't, couldn't prepare meals for herself any longer. And so just, just for her own good, um, put her in a, a, a center during the day that would just care for her. And just such a sad thing. He said they would drive, and she would say, why are we doing this? And he would say, because it's, you know, they're going to help you and feed you. And, and it began to just be a struggle um, because she was so used to just being in her home. Um, and then it got to just recently where the center would say, um, they'd call him about 1.30. She's just really aggravated, and he has to come pick her up because um, she's just, just declining in some some areas. So, um, talking with the doctor yesterday, they put her in a, a hospital for ten to twelve days just to evaluate her, maybe to change some medications and, and that sort. And this is where I want you to pray. And it just it just um, um, it just reminded me as I sat in my office this morning with him. And as the tears were just coming down his face, I just sat there and just began to cry with him. He says, I know there's people that are struggling with cancer. I know there's people in our church that have things a lot worse. And I thought to myself, how much worse could it possibly be to watch your wife mentally just begin to fade? To have to put her in a hospital and he said, I only get to see her one hour a day. 
And he was crushed about that. He said, I, I want to quit my job. I would do anything to spend time with her and to only see her an hour a day. And I just thought to myself, as a, as a spouse, to be told that you're only allowed to see her one hour a day for the next 10 days, how crushing that would be. He said that she, um, as he dropped her off yesterday and was trying to explain to her the best that he possibly could why she was there, she said, why have you stopped loving me? Why don't you want me anymore? And he said, just to look at her eyes, the, the eyes of why are you betraying me by leaving me here in this place? And you know he's doing it because he loves her. And so he just sat there in my office this morning and said, I hope, he said, all I can think about right now is she thinks that I'm betraying her, that I don't love her, that I'm trying to get rid of her. And he says, the opposite's true. He says, I, I just want to quit my job and stay home with her and care for her. Someone said this to him. He, they said, you know, take advantage of that, that, that center. You know, when you, you need time alone, you need to drop her off so you can take time alone. And he said, I don't want time alone. I want to be with my wife. He says, the best thing I look forward to coming home from work is taking her to a park or taking her to a store and just enjoying life with her. And I'd say that to you so that you pray for the Crest family. But they, they and many other people, uh, life is difficult. There's challenges. One is I guess we should make sure we do everything we can to enjoy the people God's given us while they are healthy, while we do have them. And just remember others that are hurting, others that are going through heartache. Um, our church needs us, and we need our church. And I want you to pray for that family. And I know the Spirit of God that lives inside of her. They, they asked her at the hospital, and then, you know, you go to a doctor's appointment, they always ask you anymore, have you ever thought about hurting yourself? Um, I went um, for a doctor's appointment last week, and, and or a couple weeks ago, and I said, do you ever feel like hurting yourself? I said, no, you know. Um, uh, I'm just going to eat myself to death, but I'm like hurting myself, you know. Um, and this is what she said in the, in, in the condition she's in to have to be placed in the hospital for these evaluations. They asked her, have you ever thought about hurting yourself? And this is her answer. No. Why would I do that to my Savior? Man, he told me that and I just begin to tear up. Why would I do that to my Savior, she said. That was her answer. And um, even in the condition she finds herself in with this disease, it's still in here. And um, just pray, if you would. Pray for this dear family and um, encourage them, if you would. Jim, he'll be in church uh, Sunday. He'll be here by himself, and it's the first time he's been in church by himself. Um, and um, if you see him, would you encourage him? Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. Matthew 5, verse number 7. We are going to continue our series. We've been looking at the Beatitudes. I've enjoyed this series. We took a couple weeks off while I was out of town, and I and appreciate uh, Nate in teaching and uh, good response. I was at the 1 o'clock service today. The 1 o'clock service was the fullest service that we had we've ever had, I think, um, partially is because a lot of folks thought it was going to be snowing tonight, and they came to the one o'clock service and not the evening service. 
Um, but I heard good reports about the messages the last couple weeks, and so I'm so glad that was an encouragement. We've been studying on the Beatitudes, and as we've looked at these Beatitudes over the last couple weeks, I don't want to take a lot of time because I have to be done by 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. Um, so I don't want to take a lot of time to re rehearse these. You can go on and listen to these. But what we're looking at is one verse gets us through to the other. How many of you want to live a life of peace? I know I do. I, I, I want peace. In, in a hectic world that we live in, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And all of us strive for peace. But Christ gives us here a plan, a method, how to arrive at peace. You can say all day long, I'm going to have a peaceful day, and it just takes one person to cut you off for you not to have a peaceful day. It takes one interaction with a coworker, and you now have ruined your day, or it takes one issue with your children in the morning, or, you know, sitting in the car and waiting for the kids to get out, and they're going to be late for school, and all of that, and it's ruined your entire day. How many of you said, I'm going to have a great day in... 15 minutes into your day, you no longer had a great day. Am I the only one like that? I'm going to have peace today. Well, there is a plan. The Bible says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that have humility, those that uh, are, are humble, leads us to the place, though, uh, blessed are they that mourn, spiritual mourning. Those that, that mourn, spiritual mourning over their sin. You'll never arrive to a place of peace if you're filled with pride. You'll never arrive at a place of peace if you continue in habitual sin. Those that spiritually mourn, those that look at their sinful condition and say, Lord, I'm sorry, a, a repentive heart. The Bible says, blessed are the meek. We looked at that lesson, and the meek is not those that are weak. It's actually the opposite. It's those that have strength, but it's controlled strength. It's the Spirit of God controlling you, you allowing the Spirit of God. We can do something, but we choose to let the Spirit of God control us. That's meekness. Meekness. See, it leads us then to a place where we hunger and thirst after righteousness. A proud person doesn't get into the Bible. A, a person that's living in sin doesn't enjoy the time in God's Word. The person that is, is uh, uh, not meek isn't going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, the goal to, to peace is a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. We've got to come to this place where we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we saw that last time, I believe, a couple weeks ago which then as a person becomes a place in their life where they hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Bible says this, our next lesson this evening is this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. H have you ever been wronged by another person? You know when you've been wronged by another person how difficult it is to forgive. How many of you have ever been wronged by somebody? Everybody. I mean, if you just don't want to raise your hand right now, you're not going to raise your hand over anything I say tonight. Anybody like that? All right. I'm not going to raise my hand. I am not going to show that I, I struggle with this. Forgiveness is a path to peace. He, hear me tonight. Whether you are 
you've been in church your entire life, whether you have heard the Word of God preached multiple times a week and you're in the Word of God, there's going to be times in your life where you are going to be wronged and it is difficult. I don't care who you are. It is difficult to forgive. It's difficult. I want you to understand this tonight. We're going to look at God this evening, and then I'm going to take this, and, and I hope that you'll see where I'm going, so stay with me. God is merciful. Would you agree with that? He's merciful. He's gracious. How many are so glad that He is gracious with you? He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. That is who He is. He's ready to forgive even when it takes anguish of heart to get there. He's ready to forgive. He sent his son. He left heaven to come to this earth because God was ready to forgive. How many of you would agree? You do not deserve that mercy God gave, but you're so thankful, so thankful for the mercy that God's given to you. Today's study is this, how to get to this forgiveness. How do we get to forgiveness? We, we're going to look today, this evening, we're going to look at how a person has been forgiven by God, can forgive themselves, and learn how to forgive others. And the first thing I want you to see is how we've been forgiven by God. And it's important that we see this. So please, please stay with me on this because this really helps us understand as we close this this evening. Most people want to forgive, but some people don't know how to get there. I've talked to people and they say, I want to forgive. I just don't know how. I, I, I want to look at this situation. I don't want to. The average person doesn't want to pull this weight around with them the rest of their life. If they knew how to get over it, they would. They desire to forgive. They just don't know how to get to the place of forgiveness. If, if a great wrong has been done to you, you may even feel like forgiveness is impossible. Have you ever thought that? I, I just, I think it's impossible to forgive this. I, I think it's impossible for, for this person, for me to get over this. I, I uh, was at snow camp a couple weeks ago with our kids, and, and, and it, was, it was awesome. It, we actually had snow. So that was literally, it was snow camp. It wasn't mud camp. And, and there was a really cool hill that was wide open, and everyone was going down that hill. They were having a great time. And then off to the side of this, this hill, there was this, this black tube that um, uh, you had to get into with a sled, and you'd go down this black tube. And the kids thought it was awesome. And I thought to myself, you're insane. I looked at that black tube, and immediately I thought of that time when I was four years old or so, and that boy that lived in our neighborhood would take me, it seemed like every day, and put me in the closet in his house in that really small furnace room and lock me in there and not let me get out. And every time I come to a place where I see small areas, I was in the MRI, and I laid there, and I thought about being in that that uh, closet there with that heater turning on, that boy saying, stop crying, you're a baby, and put me in that room day after day after day as a four-year-old boy. Anytime I get into tight situations or see that, I think about it. 
Matter of fact, that night I woke up in the middle of the night and I dreamed that I, I went down that and I got stuck and it went, it narrowed in the mid, mid middle of that tunnel and I don't mi- narrow in the middle of my midsection and I got stuck. I'm, I'm serious, I woke up in the middle of the night at snow camp sweating, like, oh, I thought I got stuck in this tunnel. And I went the next day and I'm looking at that tunnel thinking, I hate that kid. There's no way I'm going to forgive this kid. He's made me, like, I blame all my insanity as an adult on this kid that did this to me at four years old. I can't even go to snow camp and enjoy snow camp because this person's done something to me. And there are things that people have done to us that when we look at it, it almost feels like it's impossible to forgive. The fifth beatitude is about mercy. And mercy is a stepping stone to forgiveness. The, 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 the step toward forgiveness begins with mercy. God's mercy is that he always is ready to forgive. That's mercy. Think, think with me for a moment, and, and I want you to write these three things down for a moment, and, and these are vitally important because we're going to go somewhere with these three things. How and when God forgives. God forgives when wrong has been done. God forgives. He shows mercy. God forgives when repentance begins. He shows mercy. He forgives because an atonement has been made. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross. And because an atonement has been made, God forgives. And so God forgives when wrong has been done. Forgiveness is only appropriate when a wrong has been done. You ever think about that? You don't forgive someone unless they've wronged you. If they've never wronged you, it's not like, well, I I forgive you. I just want you to know everything's great in life between us, and I forgive you. You would look at me like, why would you forgive me? I've not done anything wrong. Forgiveness is offered when someone has wronged you. God had to forgive Through the cross, he forgave mankind because mankind sinned against him. And when God forgives us, that means we have wronged him. Every sin in your life, in every sin in my life, is a personal offense against God. In Acts chapter 4, um, Acts chapter 4, or 9, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, verse number 4, we find where, uh, remember where Saul was on the road to Damascus? And what was he doing? He was persecuting Christians. Right? He was doing wrong to people. And what did Jesus say to him? Saul, why persecutest thou me? The, the wrong that he was doing to Christians was an offense to God. He was, he was offending God. Every time you sin, it might be something wrong you've done to somebody else. But when you sin, it's an offense against God. And God forgave. And God forgives when someone has done wrong. Number two, God forgives when repentance begins. Write down Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32, and I'm sure everyone in this room knows the story of the prodigal son. 
right? The prodigal son, he takes everything that the father would give him and he li- goes out and he lives this, this, this uh, uh, horrible life and he comes to the place where he comes to his senses, the Bible says, and he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask my father's forgiveness and, and I'm going to ask him, don't take me back as a son, just take me back as a servant. And, and he seeks his father's forgiveness. And you know the story, dad's in the house, on his recliner, hands folded, watching Fox News. <laughs> saying, I'm not going to forgive him. No, no. Where do we find the father? Where do we find him? He's waiting. He's not sitting and wanting this person to come in and grab, uh, grovel, and, and I'm so sorry, and, and well, well see, how, see how sorry you are. We'll see. No, he was at the front porch, and this is when, when, when the son, when he saw the son afar off, what did he do? He went to him. He didn't wait. Well, let, it, let him get to the porch. Let him get inside the house. Let's see how sorry he really is. No, the Bible says he went to him. He embraced him. And, and, and God forgives when repentance begins. God embraces us with love and forgiveness. At the first sighting of our repentance, it's not, it's not let's see how sorry you are and show me for days that you're sorry before I forgive you. He forgives you Immediately, when repentance begins, I I was I was in um, Montreal, and um, uh, we visited this place, Saint Joe's uh, Observatory, and it was up on a hill. And down on the bottom of the hill, across the street, was uh, Notre Dame Academy, and there was a man, Joe, uh, that um, was a door holder at that at that uh, um, academy for years. And um, he would come, uh, uh, open the door, and when he saw somebody that was uh, limping or somebody was hurt, he would offer to pray for him. And the story goes that several people, many people that he prayed for got healed, and so he became a saint, and they had this big observatory up on the top of the hill that, that now people come to, and, and there's these big row of steps, and, and there's a sign I, I remember reading, you know, uh, 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 leave the middle steps for those that have, have, have come, and I forget the word that they use, but pretty much you walk on the outside and let the people come on their hands and knees and travel up the steps. And I watched a guy there, and I watched it because it was so different than any way that I grew up, and, and, and he would go on a step and pray and go on a step and pray all the way up this hillside bloodied because these were just, and it was how much pain and suffering can I put myself through so that when I get to the top, they see how much I'm suffering and somebody will look down upon me and give me what I'm asking for. Aren't you so glad that God doesn't make you get that far before he offers you forgiveness? It's the first step. The beginning of repentance, he offers forgiveness. When, when, a person, when, when, a, when a person who has wronged you begins to repent, it's time to move toward them with love and forgiveness. That's mercy. I want to ask you to raise your hand on this, but everyone in this room, I'm sure I've been hurt. And unfortunately, there's time that when 
somebody is desiring repentance or desiring forgiveness, we hold out long to punish them because they hurt us. In Luke chapter 15, at the first sign of return, he saw, he ran toward him and he embraced him. He didn't stay in the home and force his son to beg for forgiveness. He, like God, embraces us, comes to us and forgives at the sign, the first step of repentance. Again, this is important. Please stay with me. You don't have to wait till every aspect of an offense is owned till you can forgive. You don't have to wait till every aspect of an offense is owned till you can forgive. Look with me in John chapter 8. Look, look, at, look at this thought with me. John chapter 8, verse number 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. You know, I think this is one of the saddest things to realize. Jesus came, the Bible says he came to die for your sins and the sins of the whole world. We believe not in limited atonement. We believe in, in atonement, the atonement of the blood of Jesus. We believe he died for all mankind. The Bible teaches us that. He died, died not just for your sins and my sins, but for the sins of the whole world, the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came and he died for all mankind. The saddest thing is going to be that there is going to be those that are separated in hell without Christ, without salvation, not, not because an atonement wasn't made for them, but because they didn't accept that gift of salvation and receive that. You see, there's no forgiveness without repentance. I, I've been asked this often in times of counseling over many years. How, how can I forgive someone who, who won't even, even acknowledge that they're wrong or won't say that they're sorry or won't seek or ask for forgiveness? And somebody will say, what's my responsibility when someone isn't asking for forgiveness or won't even admit that they're wrong? You see, God forgives sinners when they repent. But what if someone doesn't repent? How do you deal with them? See, forgiveness isn't granted, but he still loves them. And that is what God's called us to do. Look with me. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and look with me in verse number 44. How do I deal with someone who won't repent? How do I forgive them if they're not seeking forgiveness? Look what Jesus says here. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, if I said to you, hey, you're commanded to love, bless, do good, and pray, you would say, I got no problem doing that. I, I, I'll do that to my spouse. I'll do that to my best friend. Oh, I can do that for people on this prayer list. I can do that for my children. I can do that for, for fellow church members. There's no, there's no problem. I don't mind blessing and, and praying for and loving those that I love. But it doesn't say to love and bless and, and do good and to pray for those that you love. It says, love your enemies. 
Bless them that curse you. When's the last time someone cut you off and cursed you and you thank them? Hey, thank you. You have a good day too. No. You want to kill them. Well, when's the last time you prayed for them that which despitefully use you? You see, he's not talking about forgiveness there. He's talking about how do we respond to those that are our enemies? How do you respond to someone that has hurt you but will not seek forgiveness? You love them. You pray for them. You do good to them. You bless them. Number three, and I need to hurry, write this down. God forgives because atonement has been made. This, this, this is one of those things that I, I, I know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this question. When you get to heaven, you're going to be in a glorified body. You're not going to ask, you're going to know. Um, but when I get to heaven, this is some of those things I can't wait to understand. This, this thing right here. Hey, think about this. When God spoke the world into existence, he just used his words. There's power in his words. He didn't take anything that was there that somebody else more powerful made he spoke like, I, I like, I, the, the, I hope you don't think I'm not manly for this, but I love watching birds. I think that it's just relaxing. Now, I don't like have binoculars and you won't find me out in the woods. I, I like watching them in my backyard. And, and every so often I like it when a cat comes in my backyard and, you know, plays around. But, but uh, I like watching the birds, all these different colors, and it's just peaceful. I, 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 I feed them during the winter and because I love to see them come in. I, I was away, and when I was in the Dominican Republic last week, their ecosystem is so bad, they don't have birds. It's weird. Be, and, and, and there's a problem when you don't see birds flying. That, that's, a, that's a bad issue. And I came home, and I couldn't wait. I was looking in my backyard. Snow was on the ground. And I would say, yes, Daddy's home. I'm going to fill the feeder up and, and come on in and eat. And... They were, I mean, there were so many birds that were just coming into those feeders. And what amazes me that God just said, let there be a bird. And there was a bird. Like, let there be this beautiful bird. And I love going to the, to the um, uh, zoo and we're taking young kids and them watching these animals. And you ever see these animals? They're just awesome. And God said, let there be like a fuzzy wuzzy bear. And there was a, a fuzzy wuzzy bear. I mean... What is a fuzzy wuzzy bear? I don't know. He said it and there became a bear. I, I, I don't even know how he thought of this. He just said, let there be bear. And there was bear. Let there be a tree. Let there be earth. And uh, you fly. Have you ever been, anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon and places like that? And you say, what an awesome God. In every single thing that you say, what an awesome God. He just simply spoke it out of nothing, and it became there. But he didn't speak away man's sin. He didn't say to Adam, my words are powerful. Don't worry about it. It, it took God himself entering into our world, taking our human flesh, living a perfect life, shedding his own blood, and laying down his life on the cross for there to be an atonement for our sin. It took him shedding his blood. And when a person cannot forgive themselves or cannot forgive others, you must realize that if the blood of Jesus Christ was good enough for God to forgive mankind, 
It must be good enough for you to accept forgiveness and offer forgiveness. How do you forgive yourself for the guilt that brings shame to you? How do you forgive others? You understand if the blood of Jesus Christ is good enough to satisfy the Father in relation to my sin, then it should be good enough to satisfy me. If that is what it took for God to say, mankind, the atonement is made, the forgiveness is given, what are we expecting others to do so that we would forgive them or forgive ourselves? How do you forgive others? Anybody in here ever run track? Anybody? There, there's these hurdles. And in, in, in a little while ago, I, um, I, I thought I'd impress our Sunday morning um, crowd. I wanted them to know how agile I am. And, and so um, really the line of people coming off the platform was too long coming down the steps, and I wanted to get going. So I, I just took a, a, I thought a was going to take, I saw it in my mind, this just majestic leap up onto the platform. And... Um, it wasn't too majestic, and I got up on the platform, and the entire time I was preaching, I'm thinking, I want to go to the emergency room. I, I pulled something somewhere between my foot and my head, um, and it hurts really bad. And that's all I thought about the entire time I preached. There was this hurdle, and I've said this many a times, I will never do that again. Never. Now when I look at that platform, it looks like it's about this high. I'll take the stairs. Come on down. You take your time. I'll, I'll go on the stairs. Sometimes forgiveness looks like that. It looks like it's so high, there's no way to get over it. There's no way. And we just stand at it and we look at it, and so we stand there defeated saying, there's no way that I can forgive. It's impossible. Take a step back. And those runners that run uh, track, they don't, they don't walk up to the hurdle or run up to the hurdle, stop, and then try to get over the hurdle, right? You ever see them? What do they do? They take a run and start toward that hurdle, and they start the leap as they get to that hurdle. They don't just try to stand there and jump over it. I want you to think about that as we look at, go to Ephesians chapter number four, if you would, please. Ephesians chapter four. And I want to talk to you. Don't forget anything I said about what God is and his character and who he is and that his atonement and he offers forgiveness and all that. That is who God is. It's important for us to understand that. I'm going to bring this together. Ephesians chapter number four, we find the Bible says this in verse number 40, uh, 32. How many of you love this verse? And be kind one to another. Um, my daughter, my, I think Chloe used to, when she was memorizing this a couple years ago, a few years ago for Awana, she would just, be ye kind one to your mother, you know, tenderhearted and forgiving one another. And it's to your mother, to your brother, to your sister, to your father. It's, it's everybody. Be ye kind one to another and your mother, tenderhearted. What's it say? Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let's take a step back. Let's take several steps back. I've got this hurdle of forgiveness, and I can't get over it. And I want you to begin to take these strides that's going to help us 
to get to forgiveness. Number one, I want you to rethink, uh, write this down. In verse number 30, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, and, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. How many of you, how many of you believe that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? How many of you believe that? Lives inside of you. Let me, let me say this to you. There are some things in your life that you, it is impossible. It is impossible for you to do in your flesh. It's impossible. There are some circumstances in your life that in your flesh you cannot forgive. There are some situations, there are some people that you cannot deal with because you don't have the strength to deal with it. There's problems that you cannot face. And that's why that, that advice, well, just dig deep and you've got the strength and, and you can do it. No, the reality is you cannot. You cannot live the victorious Christian life in your own flesh. There's things in your life that you cannot forgive in your own flesh. Your flesh, it's impossible possible. We take all this leap back. How am I going to get to forgiveness? You've got to understand the spirit of God lives inside of you. And because the spirit of God lives inside of you, you now have the power to forgive because the spirit of God forgives. He is mercy. Everything we just said, what God does, he, he forgave when mankind sinned. He left heaven's home. He made an atonement for sin. God, in his mercy and his love and his grace, he forgave you and his spirit lives inside of you. Now you no longer have to try to forgive on your own. You have God who forgave, who is mercy, who is long-suffering, who is kind. He lives inside of me. And now I can take a leap toward that forgiveness is because the power of the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. And too many times Christians are trying to live in their own flesh instead of allowing the Spirit of God to control us. And we get defeated. We look at this hurdle and we say, there's no way I can do this. Good, you're right. But the Spirit of God can. He already has. God already has forgiven. God already has shown mercy. God already has come and embraced you when you turned to him and repented. He's already done this. This is not impossible for him. So the Spirit of God that dwells inside of you has victory, God has forgiven even the worst sins, and his spirit now lives in you. Think about that. No, number two, I've got to hurry. What time is it? Somebody tell me. Wow, 56. I got four minutes. All right. Don't, number two, would you write, mark this down? Don't dwell on the injury. Strides that will get you to the forgiveness. Take the step back. All right, number one, I'm going to rely and re, I'm going to remember the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. Number two, I'm not going to dwell on the injury. Let's look with me in Ephesians 4.31. The Bible says this, let all bitterness and wrath and, 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 and anger and clamor and evil speaking be what? Put away. Bitterness and wrath and anger. You know where that comes from? When you nurse your injury. When you sit around and you just sit there and nurse it and care for it and talk about it and, 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 and bitterness begins to grow and wrath begins to grow and you keep thinking about it and you keep stoking a fire in your, in, in your soul and, and you just can't stop thinking about it and talking about it. You're nursing this thing and guess what? Bitterness comes in. 
We've got to learn to allow the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us to, to help us in this area. Stop dwelling on the injury. Bitterness and anger are fires that need to be fed, and when you feed them, it grows. When I bought our house, we had a, um, my neighbor, or the guy that we bought it from, not my neighbor, the, the previous owner, did us such a favor. He, um, uh, they left a freezer that didn't work in the basement so that we could have a freezer that didn't work. So they also let, had cut down some wood and, and left all of it out in our yard, in the back corner of the yard. And um, we don't have a fireplace, so I have all of this wood that I don't need in the freezer I don't need. And, and so what I did is, is um, I didn't realize it was illegal at the time, but what I did is I just put some rocks together and, and I would just go out there and put all this wood and I would have an open flame in Monclova Township, which you're not allowed to have. And um, um, yeah, yeah, I was roasting marshmallows, family time. So we, um, I, I would just do that on a Saturday. I would put some wood out there, and, and my son would come home and, Dad, you can't do that. And I said, just, just stop. Go back to the fire department or something, you know. Um, we might need your help. Uh, um, and so the fire would go down, and I would go out there, and, and there would still be wood, and the fire is going down. And so what I would do is I would like kind of stoke it, push it around, and without even adding any fuel to the fire, just by moving some things around and poking at it, it would f fire up again and it would just keep going. And that's exactly at times what we do to our hurt. It starts to die down and we get poked. We poke it. We, we, it flares up. We, we need to say with the Holy Spirit's help, I'm, I, I have better things to fill my mind with than this. And, and with the help of the Spirit of God, set your mind on something better. Stop dwelling. Stop stoking that. Stop feeding it. Because you have the power to do this because the God Spirit lives inside of you who knows what mercy is, who's offered you mercy, who's already accomplished this. Like, what better person to help you than God who's already done this? And so, Christian, there is no reason that you can't forgive when the Spirit of God lives inside of you because He can accomplish it. You can't do it in your own uh, flesh, but you can do it with His help. Number three, I think I have four minutes left. Don't fight and quarrel. Don't fight and quarrel. Fighting over who did what won't lead to forgiveness. So often, well, they, it would be if you did and you did, and if, if they'll just admit 60%, I'll admit 40%, but they only admit 40%. And I'm not taking, who cares? Fighting and quarreling. Uh, we, we, 2 Timothy 2.24, uh, write that down. Go, go study that. Paul tells Timothy about quarreling. It just stokes the fire. It just, it, quarreling doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't lead to forgiveness. It just leads to more frustration. Look, look with me again in verse number 31 of chapter 4. The Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, what? Be put away from you. Not to vent. What, what, what would happen if we that had a problem with someone, it just kept it with that person? Don't we love to go to other people and get other people involved? Hey, did you, did you hear about my problem with... So-and-so, it's really, really bad. They're bad. They're bad people. This is what they did to me. 
You know what you, know what you ought to do when someone says that? Throw water on them. Put the flame out. That, that's what the Bible says there. Quit it. Knock it off. Don't, don't, don't keep bringing, don't bring it to someone else. Don't, don't, don't keep, put it away. Don't vent to other people. If you have given someone else an opinion of someone that was not in the problem, you've sinned. And forgiveness needs to start with you. The Bible, that word malice, you know, that desire that someone gets what they deserve. Do you, do you ever, do you, it, he tells us not to, not with malice. You know what malice is? I hope you get what you deserve, like in Jesus' name. I'll forgive you, but I can't wait till Jesus gets you. Because after all, you're wrong. It's, it, malice is wanting vengeance. I, I'll forgive you, but I can't wait till ashes are poured on your head. That's not Christ-like. He says, stop it. Put, put it away. That's not forgiveness. No, number four, write this down. I think I've got three minutes left. Have compassion on the person who has hurt you. Look with me in verse number 32 again. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what we need to learn? The leap, that fourth leap, to get to that hurdle of forgiveness, have compassion on the person who's hurt you. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, write that down. Go back and study that. You know what you find? Jesus became merciful, became compassionate. Hear me with this. Suffering is going to produce something in you. And it's going to produce whatever you allow. But it's going to produce one of two things. It's going to produce tenderness or it's going to produce a hard heart. And we as Christians ought to understand that suffering is going to come, but I, with the Spirit of God's help, am going to allow suffering to produce tenderness in me. Number five, the leap that we need to get through, we're getting close to this hurdle. And now as we're building momentum to this hurdle, we can realize you will need forgiveness of others. Ephesians 4.32 says this, forgiving one another. Look in the middle toward the end of that verse. Um, forgiving one another, even as Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiving one another. You know what you've got to learn one day? You're going to need to forgive someone. Don't, don't live a life where you're never wrong. You're only wronged. Because there's going to be a time in your life you need to realize you need to forgive others. And if others may need to forgive you, then we need to understand that we need to forgive others as well. Nobody in this room has ever lived a life where you've not offended someone. No one in this room has ever lived a life where you've never wronged somebody. And isn't it so hypocritical that we want them to forgive us, but we will hold on to what you have done for, to me for as long as I live? No, realize you've forgiving one another. Forgiveness is going to come to you one day and need to be needed towards you. Lord, have mercy on me and allow me to have mercy toward others. And then lastly, um, look at that last part of that verse. As God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Isn't that something wonderful to think about? Do you, ever, do you ever have like a good 
dinner or something really, really good that you put it in your mouth and you're like, wow, like I'm going to swish this around so every taste bud gets to experience this, whatever that may be. We call it savoring, right? Savoring that taste. Or we, number six, before you get to that leap of forgiveness, savor your forgiveness in Christ Jesus. As God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Think about how God has forgiven you. Think about that. Think about how wonderful that is. You see, the Bible says this, blessed are the, um, let me go back to this passage of scripture. Verse number seven, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. It's a wonderful place to be. What a wonderful place to experience and savor. You appreciate it. You enjoy it. You see, we wonder why we're so affected this this lack of forgiveness this lack of mercy it hinders our worship it hinders our wonder it hinders our praise there's nothing like a christian that has come to the place of conquering that hurdle of forgiveness coming to the other side of that forgiveness and really savoring who jesus christ is what he's done for me you can truly worship you see it's difficult to worship when i'm angry with you it's difficult to worship, almost impossible, because I'm grieving the Holy Spirit of God who wants to teach me how to forgive and teach me to show mercy, but I'm grieving him. He knows how to do it. He wants to lead me to it, but I see this hurdle of forgiveness and say, I'm not getting over this. Oh, but I want to worship you, Lord. I want to wonder, just sit in awe of who you are and your presence, and I want to praise. It's difficult to come to that place. Those things are what we obtain on the other side of mercy. Forgiveness, now we look at this path. We pour in spirit, spiritual mourning, meekness. It leads to a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. Now that I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I want to know God. You know what God is? Merciful. I allow the Holy Spirit of God to begin to work in my life, and now I'm a step closer to the peace that comes. But it only comes through forgiveness. You can't harbor. You can't hold on. You can't be angry. There cannot be malice. You've got to forgive. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Father, help us, I pray.